Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Disco Elysium of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, a.k.a. I know I was supposed to headline tonight, but please let me open so I can just go home. <laughs> and I am the Black Metal Guy, a.k.a. Orb Master Corneus, Dragon Wizard. Or <laughs> orbs just become just becoming like the terminus thing you know esoteric orb metal forever orbs swords there's something for everyone <laughs> orbs swords and motorcycles that that's the we, name of our that's the name of our fucking book orbs swords and motorcycles it has to be orbs isn't a it's got a ring off the tongue swords orbs and motorcycles swords orbs and motorcycles that works man yeah I mean, yeah that, that, that combines our three favorite things basically <laughs> Does either of I don't? Do you own a motorcycle? No, God, no. I've, yeah, neither like, do I. No, that's a death trap. My mom always told me they were dangerous. So. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I know my buddy got one, and um, you know he was riding it in a city where it was maybe not the best. You know, he was fucking L.A. Right, so within. Within two years, he was like, "Okay, that's my second hospital visit from this. Uh, I think I'm done." I can't. I can't imagine like. Having a motorcycle, I think it's a a motorcycle primary vehicle in an urban area. Like, why would you do that to yourself? Yeah, I'm. It. It's um. I think it's a very cool thing to do if you really love motorcycles. Other than that, may not be worth it. I will. I will leave. I'll leave my biking to the devil. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) He's much faster than me. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. Oh, shit, man. Okay, we got a show. We got a show to do. All right. Our, uh, our last show before our end-of-year episode, actually. Um, should probably let people know that. Yeah, uh, this time our end-of-year episode is going to come out right before Christmas. Um, possibly, like, on Christmas, depending on when I upload it. But, yeah. And depending on whether you're naughty or nice. I mean, our listeners, our listeners, that is. If they are insufficiently naughty, Terminus won't come out till New Year's. Yeah, maybe maybe that's what I should do. Maybe I should hold it off so that the uh, the gap of our winter break isn't as painful for all of our uh, mm-hmm. loyal listeners. Oh, God. All right, what are we, what are we doing? Do you have some, like, shout-outs, or do we want to go to your first section, or what's your plan? Oh, we got some house, I mean, uh... Oh yeah, well I f- oh, yeah you were gonna do some the, some stuff. I've forgotten the fucking housekeeping so many goddamn times now. Uh, yeah, so like I've forgotten to do on the last couple episodes. I should probably do it on the last real episode of the year. Uh, social media, uh, me on Facebook at Terminus Podcast and the Black Metal Guy on Instagram at Terminus Extreme Metal, um, and then. Also, uh, if you really want to participate, feel free to help us out over on Patreon or Subscribestar. $3 and up gets you access to all of the Terminus Prime bonus episodes. Uh, $5 and up gets you access to the Terminus Black Circle, our uh, private Discord server that is primarily orb discussion, at least 60% by volume. Uh, you know, the orb tips and tricks, uh, you know, esoteric orb walkthroughs, you know, that kind of thing. And then, uh, yeah, $10 and up gets you voting privileges to start picking the uh, content of our bonus episodes, at least our main bonus episodes. Um, the uh, next one of which is a 
major, <laughs> a major doing, but will be coming out relatively soon. It's just, it will we'll take have a more lot time of to, time and read. We'll have more time to do it over winter break. It takes a, it will take a lot of research. It is going to be a very important one for us. So thank you all for your patience as we, as we try to figure it out. Um, but you were, you were the one pointing out, you pointed out in the notes and you were talking to me the other day that we've got this like big surge of new listeners, right? Yeah, who are you people? Yeah. <laughs> it's like we see we're seeing all these numbers tick up with like all these people like all these new listeners coming in and like like a a really weirdly large number of people, isn't it? Aren't we up like a fucking hundred percent? Haven't we basically doubled or something? It's been yeah. Last month was our biggest growth in a year, and this month seems to be growing at the same rate, if not more. It'll slow down a little for break, but like between this episode and the next, we're on well on track for fifteen hundred uh fifteen hundred downloads in a month, right? And the uh, it's pretty damn good, considering where we yeah, started for, out. For, for an esoteric metal ritual podcast like this one, I can't complain. Um, yeah, but yeah. With, and, um, with that being said, guys, uh, all you new guys that are listening to this wherever, leave fucking comments. We respond to all of them. Send us emails. Send us a lock of your hair. Uh, take pictures of our houses on Google Maps and send them to us in the mail. Uh, yeah, all that kind of thing. Um, we would, we would love to hear more from you guys. Speaking of fan interaction, I forgot to do, I've been meaning to do this. Um, we, you know how we were talking about how that, um, God, that anti song was literally, literally about the devil's motorcycle. Yeah. 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 Um, so we got a guy wrote a, a guy wrote us with the subject line, the devil rides with me. He says, so two things. The V8 reference in the lyrics doesn't jive with motorcycles, as a vast majority are two or four cylinder. As to the mystery of counting off one through eight out of sequence, it may be a reference to the firing order of the cylinders of a V8, which varies depending on the motor. Just saying. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I saw that, and uh, yeah. one of the guys from Anti did confirm that it was about. Yes. Uh, it's an old Chevy uh, firing uh, sequence for uh, it, old V8 but, Chevys. But yeah. just what what a. What a strange mix of just sort of like car fix and Chad total autismo. It's just like <laughs> I mean, salute to you, sir. That is the true Terminator spirit. If um, if there was if there was a metal podcast where not only did someone have that knowledge, but was intense enough about it to need to inform us, it would absolutely be terminus. <laughs> it, it means yes. Shit, no, thank you for sending that shit. Like I forgot to reply, but shit like that means we're doing something right. We okay. love that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, anything else? I mean, also, I guess like prob there isn't been anything like new shit. Like we're not like doing any more promos. So I think people have been talking to their friends. So if you have told your friends about the show, if you've put your cultural capital on the line by associating <laughs> yourselves with us, and your friends have you know looked up the show and decided that it appears to be real and they aren't, they don't mock you. Um, you know, then thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. I mean, we're mm. moving from, moving from strength to strength in our obscure metal podcast a year and a half in. So, <laughs> oh man, it's, All right. uh, it's good times. But uh, you've so, got uh, you've got something for our intro section, our uh, our, our weird kind of floating section. Yeah. Where so, um, we've got a uh, a submission. This is. Uh, 
This is from Brandon Corsair of Dragcar, Azath, and uh, Nameless Grave Records, to name a few. Uh, we reviewed the new Dragcar last year. Um, and re- he's, re- uh, he reviewed the first Azath, like, early in the show's did run. Did, oh, we did, didn't we? I couldn't remember whether we covered it was that like, or not. I was, it was like single-digit episodes. It was yeah, yeah, no, no, that's ago. right, because I was listening to that a ton that spring. Um, yeah, that's right. I, I, I remember, because I was like, this is awesome, it has a dragon on the cover, and you were like, it sounds like Autopsy. And I was like, oh, I don't know how Autopsy sounds, and that was the review. Um, it's, um, <laughs> uh, and uh, but, um, but so so this is a somewhat different thing although very much he's got an aesthetic right and this hangs together with those uh this is the it's half of a split with a band called ezra brooks and it's visions of esoteric splendor by serpent rider uh this is coming out on he's doing the digital for his half on nameless grave and the physical is out now on cd and lp on no remorse records uh this lineup uh, also features uh, Andrew Lee, his frequent collaborator from Azath, uh, and uh, the, also the guy who plays guitar in Drag Car, and uh, a new female vocalist. Um, so they are doing, generically, this is Epic Doom. Um, Epic Doom is a bit of a misnomer uh, because it is. Well, we'll get into that in a second, why that might be a misnomer. Um, but, you know, it all revolves... It, in a sense, it's like found, basically founded on one band, Solstice, right, from England. Uh, and interestingly, Solstice themselves have moved to a female vocalist recently. Uh, there's not any new original songs with her yet. But, uh, so this is moving weirdly in tandem with them uh, in an interesting way. But... Uh, Let's check out the, uh, I'll, I'll run these, I'll run a couple tracks past you and you see what you think. This one is, uh, Mask of the Wolf. So that's the lead-off single, uh, and, uh, yeah, we'll just start at the beginning.
what are you making that, dude? Um, I mean, I I like it, although I'm trying to figure what makes this doom. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the question, right? I mean, I mean, it, it sounds like uh, it sounds like echoey NWOBHM to me, you know, or like speed metal, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, really, know, really reverb drenched speed metal. Yeah, like the sort of half pedal point riffs with kind of half palm mutes, uh, epic you know, epic Dorian scale melodies of the kind that Corsair favors and, and other projects, right? Uh, I mean, honestly, it would fit in alongside a lot of the stuff of, of that, like, NWOTHM scene pretty easily. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you could say this is just heavy metal, and I think in some places they label it a heavy metal band. Yeah, uh, I do like it. I, there's certain, like, aesthetic choices that I find interesting. Um, mm-hmm. The sort of, like... <clears throat> I get the, like, vague Doom quality because, like, the the production, which is kind of like a Brandon Corsair thing, within this context almost reminds me of, like, Pagan Altar. It's, like, a little bit deliberately quiet. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Oh, I hear that for sure, yeah. I kind of like in this context, just because it's it's a very different kind of sound quality than you usually usually hear from this kind of thing. But that also extends to uh, this woman's vocal performance, which is... Which is... You can hear her kind of open up and soar melodically periodically, but a lot of it's kind of like more kind of clipped delivery and a little bit quiet in the production. Um, It's an interesting vibe. I can see how this has a kind of 70s doom aesthetic, even though the actual material being played is pretty far from that. Yeah, that's cool. So, yeah, the whole thing about... Yeah, the... The whole thing about Epic Doom is that, like, you know, New Dark Age has fast parts on it, and everyone likes the fast parts, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're, and so it's good to just acknowledge that we all like the fast parts, right? Cromlech does that well, too, right? They play some stuff that's just, like, really fast. Um, mm-hmm. this, is, um, this is quite, I mean, Solstice never plays this fast. Usually they're just sort of barreling six, eight things. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, there are related bands in that scene who, who kick it up more. Uh, also, uh, Rich Walker's other sort of side project with the guy from Twisted Tower Dyer, uh, Ice and Tor, has more, um, is basically like this. It's sort of just armor-plated, armor-plated heavy metal. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, like, Epic, what is Epic Doom really? It's a vibe. And also, you know... As music, it's supposed. It's basically like. I mean, I you know stuff like Candle Mass and Pagan Altar are important, but like Manowar and Bathory are just as important. Mm-hmm. I mean, I so, mean, Epic Doom. It, it, anything with the word epic is a, a a Rorschach test for the listener. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you know, I think we've said on this show before. I've certainly talked about it with Cromlug. You know, it's like epic. It's kind, what it kind of means is just heavy metal is extreme metal. You know, yeah, it's just, yeah, I can get that. Um, so this this has that. I, I, I what a thing I was thinking is, you know, there's always this thing where I listen to things with headphones for the first time on the show because I just bla- other than that, I just kind of blast them on speakers. Uh, the two channel the guitar the two channel guitar thing is really good here. Um, so they have mm-hmm. Andrew playing bass and drums, and then there's dedicated rhythm and lead guitar. Um, and uh, 
a lot of the parts are sort of doubled, but you can kind of hear them chasing each other and breaking off from each other in cool ways that it's not like full-on Iron Maiden tandem melodies, but uh, I think it sounds good. Um, but the faint sound is definitely something I noticed. Yeah, part of that is giving it that esoteric or cryptic vibe, uh, makes it more ancient. I think boosting the vocals would be good, and it might be partly a matter of pushing them forward in the mix and partly a matter of the performance like yeah the parts where she goes full-on heavy metal uh soaring good right that's that's it's a fuller voice right so she's like committing committing more right and there's just more power mm. being used um i mean i could i can kind of see it either way because on one hand yeah the mm-hmm. it, it does feel like the the, the more open soaring parts on her mm-hmm. vocals are they fit better, but I like the kind of unique quality of the more chirping, softer no. stuff. Oh, I'm not saying keep that. I'm saying keep the soaring parts, but the verse parts, right, that are more clipped, you need to figure out how what to do with them. Like, does, should they be yeah. more, like, barked, like the sacrilege vocals, right? Um, right, Sacrilege UK, the crossed band that has sort of aggressive female vocals. Or... Should they be like, could you make them more, could you make them even more ethereal? I think right now it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit in between. Not, a little neither here nor there, right? It should be more sort of clipped and aggro, more shouty, or more, uh, even more like, more wispy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, let's, like, take let's hear it, an, yeah. Well, let's hear yeah. another song because I want to. I want to see if this is like an outlier track or if mm-hmm. this is comparable to the rest of it. Well, that's a good question. Yeah, let's um, believe uh, Echidna is still fairly up tempo, at least in a lot of it. But let's go to the Wretch. Um, that title should be. Uh, some people might remember that seems like a Gates of Slumber homage. Gates of Slumber is a band you could call Epic Doom. Those guys were sick. Do you remember them? Oh, only very vaguely. I, I you, know you would have liked them. It's been a lot of years. Yeah, yeah sort of profoundly uh, soulful. I, th- I think you would have found the crowbar spirit in it. You know, imagine mm, crowbar, okay. sort of like somber working class, somber, tough working class doom. Just imagine the aesthetic is more Conan the Barbarian. Oh, you know? that sounds good. Uh, yeah. Oh, it's no, it's really good. We should revisit them. But um, so this might be a Gates of. I, I'm guessing they're familiar with the Gates of Slumber, so it might be an homage. It's a good title, and I pulled this sample from uh, towards the back end. We'll be coming out of a more up tempo midsection, but here you get some more epic doomy stuff happening.
could you uh could you feel the cyclopean scapes unfold <laughs> i uh it, it definitely uh, I, I get more of the Doom vibe there. I mean, there's obviously that big kind of um, mid to late 70s Doom riff that pops mm-hmm. up in the middle of that sample. Makes it a lot clearer. That really, Again, I think that as far as like very old classic Doom stuff, Pagan Altar is probably the most immediate reference. Um, so I do like that a lot. I guess between these two samples, if there's a complaint that I have about this music, it's well executed, but the solos can be a little bit much. Like, a lot of this is so far, and I gotta listen to the whole thing, but it does feel like verse, solo, different verse, solo. It feels like a lot of this is setups for the lead guitar, and... It's it's certainly well executed and narrative lead guitar. I just wish it was a little bit more spiced up structurally. Word, yeah. So um, yeah. Also about that part, I thought yeah the big doom riff. I thought that was that's the only thing that I think on this is sounds specifically solstice to me or that that really stands out to me as solstice in particular aside from the fact that this all is right in some way but um but like what's cool about that one is that it has the sort of arcing dorian scale noble folk melody thing that is characteristic of the genre and then it dives into a couple weird chromatic turns as it descends not like out of not dissonant just like unusually placed notes that just oh, do just the, the dissonant part of blues, you know? Something, yeah, very close to dissonant blues intervals, or even just intervals that technically aren't dissonant. They're just unexpected in the scale. Uh, and that's something that Rich Walker does really well, in, uh, um, especially in the slower, bendier stuff. There's um, unusual interval choice that isn't just like, let's hit a Black Sabbath tritone, or let's let's do sawing black let's do celtic frost crushing stuff right you can hear Mm -hmm. celtic frost hiding in some of those ideas and whatever but it's not at all obvious um Mm -hmm. and so that's i think there's a good that's a good well-shaped riff with some nuance to it um yeah so okay so another thing is this is uh you know since this is this is a is this the debut? No, they've they've done a demo called Pour Forth Circuitous, which is a cool word. I do not know what it means. Um, <laughs> but other, this is the first official release. Uh, and on a splitter and EP like this, right, it shows the band looking for an angle, right? Uh, clearly a lot of thought has been put into the lyrics, and it's especially important in music where the lyrics are relatively audible. Um, and it seems like the lyrics sort of split into two different angles i think uh one's more promising than the other so like um you know on that that opening ripper mask of the wolf right the lyrics are kind of like weirdly like the opposite of hail and kill right you get (laughs) sort of like um you know bestial men attack glorious masks adorn their faces they glory in misery find power in pain Conquer, these conquerors of the world, blah, 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 right? Mask of Wolf tight on his face. Uh, insanity comes to him as easily as pride, born with a twisted heritage of conquest, right? So it's kind of like, um, it kind of inverts a lot of the uh, 
tropes of the genre. It seems like a critique of the heroic ethos, basically. Uh, and it seems kind of out of step with the whole Epic Doom vibe, which is rooted in, you know, uh, Man of War and Bathory and Solstice and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. You can yeah. hear just, it just, I mean, my father was a wolf and a kinsman to the slain sworn to rise again, right? The power and dominion are taken by the will, by divine right, hail and kill, etc., right? Um, or a conqueror star shall rise again above this ravaged land, right? That's Eisentor. Um it's, you can hear the difference. Um, so it seems kind of at odds with the basic spirit of the music um, in a weird way. Um, however, and, you know, oh, and, you know, the other thing is it kind of comes off kind of, you know, the resonance in all this stuff is sort of like the old Christian critiques of the prideful pagan conqueror, right? Mm, you know, yeah. yeah. Right. You, you are conquering and oppressing others. Truly, it is you who are enslaved to your base your your pride and your base desires right um and so you know it's it's weird and you know it's weird in epic doom it's weird in music that sort of has this sort of pagan druid funeral pyre scene on the front which is a cool cover um but then there's this other approach and the other two songs which seems more like way more promising and also different from the uh, usual epic doom tropes in some ways right uh the last two songs are fit together, and they kind of got this focus on nightside femininity. Uh, and, you know, a lot of this music, right, is obviously, like, I mean, you know, Man of War, the most extreme example of it, right? But it's very sort of one-dimensional, like, deliberately one-dimensional Conan, right? Mm-hmm. Or in Solstice, you get kind of like, uh, Solstice, maybe you get Angry Elf King, right? <laughs> but, um, but these are like... These just look at a different side of that kind of pagan, barbaric universe, and they do it in a really doomed out way. So Echidna focuses on, you know, like the the mate of Typhon. So these are sort of like anti-cosmic monsters in the Greek cosmogony, uh, right? Sort of like, not titans, but, you know, sort of beasts born of Earth that fight the gods, Right. And Echidna and Typhon, get, they get trapped under a volcano or something. But Echidna, twisted in glory, serpentine but beautiful, mother of monsters, all alone in the dark. Silence surrounds, nothing but pain, all alone in the darkness and completely insane. <laughs> right? That's, right, looking at this sort of like, um, you know, sort of, uh, you, you know, these the descriptions in the, the myths, right? They're supposed to be these grotesque, sinister creatures, right? But here, this kind of a sympathetic look at just this, you know, uh, be- mother mother of beasts sort of locked away under the earth, right? Um, mm-hmm. And in the last one, the wretch is the one that I, I feel like that's the best one lyric-wise. That is, it's it's far out in a cool way. It's like it the the story it, it's like in combat the woman destroyed her frame reduced by acid crawling foe victorious in her would-be death um the wretch forever the torment eternal betrayed by family a body of vermin gone is go- glory replaced by the wretch alien body impossible to control fists and nails that tear anything that draws close etc so the plot seems to be like, you know, female warrior gets acid blasted by a verm and just like <laughs> horribly, horribly mutilated and struck with a demonic curse. And, you know, uh, 
and it's about just like suffering through this horrible curse and the end of it it's got this affirmative note right it's you know but with an iron will the wretch can be overcome the body can be reformed and the glory can return right <laughs> that's pretty cool and that or not just pretty cool that's very cool and it implies the cool thing about that is that it implies a massive story beyond it hey all this is Brandon from Cromley and you're listening to Terminus all right so we are back from god did were we just like shooting this shit for like a half hour at least yeah, well, we're, we were being we're, we're prepping. We're prepping for the end of the year. Yeah, you know? that's right. You mean the end of the world? <laughs> the same um, thing, border. No. Uh, <laughs> all right, yeah, no. So we were we were talking about year endless and shit, and basically just being com- complete assholes. It's one a.m. Uh, but um, this is uh, we are back from doing that with a uh, well, fuck a a monumental work of pure black metal this is deiform by funeral mist out now on norma evangelium diaboli right that is the label headed by the guy from dso um or noevdia you you may have seen um i was kind of stumped for a record for this week i was like i I had some pick it didn't really work out and then like or I wasn't sure it would work out. And then I saw my inbox, new funeral mist, and I was like, oh shit. So they did the surprise drop end of the year thing like Hate Forest did last year. But I think even more rapidly, Hate Forest had a promo track. I'm not sure this did. Like, uh, um, and uh, this is not a band that I listened to back in the day, but it's a band you listened to, and they were <laughs> important. So I checked it out. And fuck i like this a lot and uh, i think this will sets up a very interesting conversation about a lot of things including um something we've really has been one of our recurring subjects this year in particular which is the legacy of orthodox black metal yeah um i i think it's been mentioned on this show but of the primary wave of orthodox black metal in the 2000s funeral mist is the one that i really connected with um i i am a well-known disliker of most of the original wave of orthodox black metal and i've come around a little bit more in recent years i understand Mm -hmm. what they were going for a little bit more i'm not going to say that i love any of it but i definitely don't resent it in the way that i did back (laughs) in the day I was I was pretty strident about not liking Death Spell Omega and you know Associated Acts. So so was I. I mean, and back in the day when you're young, you've got to be sort of in the trenches and a little bit narrow on purpose, right? I mean, we did. There was a certain kind of person who wouldn't shut up about DSO and Death Metal guy and I both. uh, We hated that guy. Yeah, we hated (laughs) we hated that guy. Um, you know, since then I've had. I, you know, I've come to understand it a lot more. I I do, um, I have you know I have I have respect for DSO now, and you know think there's a lot of interesting stuff there and some great oh, yeah, riffs. Yeah. But but um, however, and you but you know I lumped in shit like Funeral Mist with that, right? Funeral Mist was like they were one of the more rockin' of these bands, right? It's like if you were Watain was the one that became big and commercial, right? Mm-hmm. And then. 
everyone could pretty much pass a certain point where like, okay, those guys suck or they've jumped the shark. Uh, DSO was the sort of um, the flagship, m- the know. mystic archmage of the scene, right? The kind of like artistic flagship. And Funeral Mist was the one that a bunch of my friends listened to and that I'm sure I clicked on like three minutes of and was like, no, nah, sounds like Marduk. And I mean, I fucking, <laughs> I love, I loved Marduk, right? And also this guy, Mortuous, or this guy who is Ariok in Funeral Mist is Mortuous in Marduk. But, you know, I was a snotty kid. So mm-hmm. tell us about what you made of Funeral Mist back in the day. Well, back in the day, well, I've got some updated ideas because actually... In anticipation of this review on my commute home, I listened to Salvation, the first album, uh, again, mm-hmm. for the first time in many years. Um, and it was interesting going back to it. Um, you know, we, we there has to be kind of a discussion about Funeral Mist in general, because Funeral Mist was lumped into the Orthodox scene. Um Particularly with the second record, Maranatha, which is kind of the one that everybody knows. A lot, a lot of people's understanding of Funeral Mist begins and ends with that record, um, which kind of makes sense because it's honestly it's a great record. Also, they didn't release one again for I think <laughs> another another nine years. <laughs> yeah, it was Hecatomb in 2018, which I I still haven't heard. Now I want to check it out again. Um, yeah, so. But but now, after listening to Salvation again, and listening to a bit of Maranatha, I mean, I think I last time I listened to Maranatha was probably just like a couple years ago, which probably sounds like a long time for a lot of people listening, but when you do shit like this show, that's like, ooh, that's a great rotation. You played it a couple years ago, it's gotta be an important record. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, basically, Funeral Mist got lumped into the whole Orthodox scene, but a lot of people forget the fact that Funeral Mist's first demo was back in 95. I mean, it's basically second-wave black metal at its roots. Um, mm-hmm. So, Maranatha came out in 2009, um, which is honestly pretty far after the initial wave of uh, Orthodox Blackmail coalescing around uh, Sea Monumenta by DSO in 2004. Um, the thing that I want to ask, especially after listening to um, uh, listening to Salvation again today, is honestly, was Funeral Mist ever really Orthodox black metal, or were they just part of blasting Swedish black metal? Mm-hmm. Um, because Salvation sounds like a very weird take on Marduk and Dark Funeral for a lot of it. Um, stripped down, minimal, odd, lots of samples, but still centered around fast blasting, tremolo riffs, and a pretty straightforward kind of delivery. Maranatha in 2009 expands upon that like uh, with like uh, a more elaborate melodic palette, but is ultimately geared around the same ideas. And I think that this new album, Deiform, is still contiguous with the rest of Funeral Mist's work, but tweaked slightly, but not so much that it doesn't reflect sort of 2000s black metal. I think that's the important thing to remember. This sounds, in a lot of ways, like a 2000s black metal record. But now we're so far away from that kind of sound, it has very different connotations. Does that make any sense? Yeah, so I think a big thing for me would be, so, yeah, this new record certainly is blasting Swedish black metal, 
right? I mean, the connections to, to, to me, like, the connections to Marduk are way more evident than the connections to a lot of the stuff that gets associated with the Orthodox. And that's a thing to bring up in general that maybe neither of us is equipped to answer right now. But there really is... First of all, nobody uses the word orthodox anymore. That's the thing I realized partly through this year. <laughs> we're, we're old we're guys the only, <laughs> We're the only people who use the word. And if you want to, but it's it's shaped the nowadays scene so much that that's why we use the word. You have to understand where it came from, right? Now it's just Icelandic black metal, dissonant black metal, dissonant black death metal, ugh, right? Um, mm-hmm. The entire thing is really some gestures that DSO used sometimes and some kinds of chords that bands like Watain and a few others used sometimes, right? These kind of mayhemic, extra wonky mayhemic chords. That's become the whole of the thing. Um, there's a difference between the Swedish and the French scene. Um, uh, and some of the other Swedish bands, Offermod, is, was basically, I think, rumored to be like the founders of Orthodox BM per se. First one was in uh, first one was in ninety eight, Mysteriantes mm-hmm. and Omias, and that basically is just mayhem worship, which kind of sets it off. But it's it, it's in that mayhemic vein, but it doesn't really sound anything like what we would associate with it now. And later offer mod, so it just sounds very Swedish in some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like dissection. Um, I don't, you know, there's like you were talking about like Onscopped. I don't know them. Uh, I love Onscopped. Yeah. Yeah. So and. Does that sound like scronky, dissonant, uh, you know, sort of... Mm, scopped it a little bit. I mean, they use, like, mm-hmm. spooky orthodox arpeggios, but it's like... Mm-hmm. Imagine, like, mid-paced, stompy funeral mist, and you have an idea. Yeah. You know, and this is the thing, right? The term meant a lot of different, you know, a family resemblance of things. I mean, I guess a band that is definitely Orthodox BM and that we both love is Aosoth, right? Yeah, Aosoth is... That has... And that has all the characteristics that became typical of it in later stuff. Um, But so there is a question about what did the term mean? What was counted there? Um, Let's listen to... Let's listen to your sample of the old stuff and give the give the people a listen because i don't if i've ever heard this i haven't heard it in 10 10 years or more yeah well uh so let's listen to a later track off maranatha um this is called living temples we're just going to play the first couple minutes of that track um and there's a distinction that occurs uh kind of a difference between this album and maranatha as well as Maranatha and the rest of Orthodox Black Metal, which is... Oh, and by this album you mean, like, this new one, Deiform. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, Difference between Deiform... We, we went very music history very fast. Yeah, yeah. All right, so, so we're going to so listen to something from Maranatha to compare it to the new record. We're going to compare it to the new record as well as the rest of Orthodox Black Metal, because the thing is, like I'm saying, maybe Funeral Mist wasn't really Orthodox in the way we think of it. Um, but Maranatha is a wonderful record because it's still got the blasting Swedish quality, but there's this subtle melodic undercurrent of like almost DSBM at times, you know, uh, mm-hmm. melodies that you could scan as either triumphant or tragic, depending on the mood you listen to it in. Uh, mm-hmm. it's got a very distinct atmosphere despite how aggressive it is, um, so this will be good to, I mean, this is the legendary Funeral Mist album. Let's compare it to what we're hearing today. 
why have you been hiding that from me? <laughs> I haven't been hiding it. I've been talking about this album for ten fucking years, dude. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> it's a really good record. And the thing that makes it so distinct amongst, if we're saying it's part of Orthodox, it's contemporaries, is this intense subtlety in the way he arranges guitar phrases. So the the dominant phrase throughout that song is that scronky like one two that don't dan don't dan don't yeah one five yeah yeah basically perpetually played throughout that song he's doing like a sweep it's like yeah, a doom or like a what whatever you're calling it. it's like a glissando thing yeah 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 but then you'll hear all these interesting phrases if you concentrate um, different kind of shapings of the riff underneath it and. Mm-hmm. Some are more aggressive and martic. Some are more tragic and sad. Mm-hmm. But they're all bound together with that constant one to five sweep over and over again. Mm-hmm. So you get this interesting blend of moods. I, I always considered uh, Maranatha secretly this very sad record. Um, despite all the bombast and the extremity of it, there's this undercurrent of like unease and sorrow to it that I thought was really interesting. You know, I can pick up on it a little bit better now and really understand the technique, but even back then I heard something about that record that was like there's there's a little bit more of like a personal relationship in this music. Not to say it doesn't exist in orthodox black metal, but it's more readily apparent to me. There is a hmm. person behind this who is connecting sort of. with this. Ob- obsessive one-man project. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, well, now that we've heard that, that's kind of the reference point. How do you feel that relates to Deiform here? Well, um, so yeah, in terms of is it orthodox or not, I think I'm just going to go with like, yeah, because people said it was, but also I think what it really sounds like is Anteus. They're just, the whole scene that. was, the whole scene was always crosstalk between france and sweden basically mm-hmm. and so like there's just a wing of the bands that sound more like marduk right and Anteus were frenchmen that sounded like marduk and mm-hmm. it was orthodox and what it has in common with Anteus is both have sort of disciplined but extremely high intensity guitar playing deliberate inorganicity connections to industrial and stuff like that um uh you know, um, I think Anteus does it better in some places than others. Um, but uh, it, it was a wing of the scene. Um, in terms of how it relates to uh, Deiform, well, one thing that's interesting about Deiform that we can get on the table is that there is not, there is not in the way that would be familiar to people a unified riff style on it. Mm-hmm. There is not a a kind of one of the set riff forms or moods that often dominates the narrower nowadays BM scenes, uh, BM scene. If anything, it seems like an attempt to incorporate all the architect, all the arsenal that was already on Maranatha, plus like a bunch of stuff beyond that, including sounds that have become more prominent in BM in general since then, which we'll get into. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a highly modern full spectrum BM record. And, uh, but what connects these riffing styles, what connects the various riff forms and the various sorts of harmonies that are being used and whatever, is a style of playing. 
and that style of playing is exactly the same, right? Uh, it, you know, that sort of the, the sort of the jump one five jumps. Basically, what's going on is a thing that you could call, uh, well, it's the Marduk octave riffing thing, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're leaping between a root, you know, okay, there, there was a root and a fifth, but basically, there's a kind of, um, well, let's listen to my sample. Twilight of the Flesh is a good example of it. And so you'll hear this guitar style in a way that's maybe closest to, to the stuff from Maranatha that you just played. Uh, and, yeah, brings out something unique about the way this guy plays. faded out on the, the big riff um <laughs> so you can hear the similarity right there right that that's built around the same sort of uh root fifth oscillation right uh yeah um what's interesting to me about the shape of that main riff is that it is mm-hmm. structurally like a thrash riff um that's what i was gonna say yeah, you've got that that big melodic opening, and then it kind of flattens out into like a simple two chord number where the vocals emerge, and then bursts back into the melodic riff. You know, the same kind of structure of maybe not necessarily Slayer, but maybe like Exodus or something like that, something a little bit more primitive. You know, structurally, it, it's 
Yeah, it's a, it's almost like a it's almost like a punk riff or like an early hardcore riff. Yeah. This. Oh. Yeah. So the cool thing about this, so what's happening here, right? This is the basic. I mean, I guess it was already in Funeral Mist, right? And or it was already sorry, it was already in Maranatha, um, where it was presumably already to a degree influenced by Marduk. But this is like, this is sort of that's it's variations on this type of riff that is typified by Marduk, right? Uh, and it is, on the one hand, yeah, it's crypto thrash, right? It's built on pedal point. You're leaping between a root and a stable, another stable interval, like a fifth or an octave, and then playing around there. You know, boom, 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 ba-da-da-da, boom, 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 ba-da-da-da, boom, 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 ba-da-da-da, boom, 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 something like that, right? And then you just get, yeah, that two two chord alternation you're talking. Boom, boom, right? Yeah, it's like thrash. So, um... What this guy's really in tune with, I think, is taking that kind of, uh, carrying that style in a few directions. On the one hand, in this song, he's carrying it back towards thrash. And he does that elsewhere on the record, too. Uh, So on Apocalypticon, it has sick, shredding, like, um, speed metal riff that isn't retro at all. If you listen to it, the intervals are like, hideous black metal or death metal intervals being uh-huh. played at speeds that like that are shocking right um yeah and he's he's playing it not as a fancy hook lead but the there are no lead there are no like quote unquote leads or hook riffs on their entire record they're all attack riffs some of them are more catchy than others right we just fade it out on a one that's more epic and elaborate but there's nothing that's like a chorus um Maybe a couple moments that are big, but not like chorus riffs. So yeah, this um, this is not about this is not a an album about big riffs. There are it, big it, riffs in it, but they're not centered mm-hmm. around them. Yeah. So he's so what he's really doing is yeah he's taking this kind of this mar- basic Marduk early funeral style and moving it in different directions. I mean, the other thing I love about this track is that in that part is the vocal attack on it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, those are, yeah, the, the patterns are like thrash or punk vocals. He, you can tell he's intentionally written the lyrics to be percussive and aggressive as an overlay, which is something that most black metal bands, especially these days, miss, right? Yeah, there's no concentration um, on vocals yeah. as a meaningful part of the yeah. music. They're just there to yeah. be there. Yeah, I think especially, and something I've been thinking, right? I mean, there's a here's a potential theory to put forward is that, like, you know, as much as it's good that we have variants of black metal that have nothing to do with thrash and variants of death metal that have nothing to do with thrash, like that 200 stab wounds had me thinking. It's like, honestly, there's from certain kinds of aggressive down the line black or death metal, something's missing when you're not installing it in those thrash roots. And yeah, that is very much I happening here. So other big thing. We'll get back to that riffing style later because he's also taking that riff style, the octave drone thing, in a very different direction. Um, The other thing, right, is how this is structured. So one thing that links this to the orthodox tradition, right, is the common use of, kind of initiated the prominent use of interludes outside of the, uh, you know, two intro structure to a Bathory album, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And... uh, the Gregorian chant stuff that starts this song is A, awesome, B, fully integrated with guitar. 
it's amazing how much just having continual high power trem under it on one note changes it and blends it into the rest of the song. Uh, and the cool thing also is that it comes back at the end of the song. And instead of just being the same part, it is a different thing, this time with chords changing under it. And it's sort of like uh, fulfilling stuff that was happening in the song. So the things that made a lot of ortho-BM kind of really annoying, right, the filler, or even a mm. record like SMRC by De Death, Death Spell Omega, like, which has a bunch of fantastic riffs and songs on it, pretty annoying in some ways, is these sorts mm. of big, long filler sections. Here, it's done meaningfully, and what he often does is he just puts the black metal song in the middle of a much more ambitious kind of sprawling structure. And that's the thing that I like about the record in general, is that he's writing from bottom up and top down. Mm -hmm. You might know this better than me, right? Because you've worked on writing more albums than I have, right? Um, mm -hmm. uh, but um, it seems like this is not written song by song. I think this record started as like 15 maybe exceptionally good riffs or sequences of riffs. And then he started trying to figure out uh, and then probably threw out hundreds of riffs that were like close but not quite. Um, mm -hmm. And then he started working in this monolithic top-down way like Ruins of Beverast, where he's like, where do I put these riffs in relation to each other? What parts of this kind of atmospheric or electronic textural stuff do I want related to what? How am I going to sequence the album as a whole? Sort of each song ends up centered on one or two specific riff structures where it's like this song's about this riff that song's about that riff that song's about that riff um and so it gives you the cool uh um it gives you the architectural feeling of a ruins of everest record where these massive blocks laid next to each other but it also gives you the sort of um, and, and that has a kind of coldness to it, right? And this modernist fracture. But you also have a way that these riffs just hurdle one into another in the way that they should on a classic riff-based black metal record. Well, you know, it's a, a little bit hard to tell how this record was written. Um, mm -hmm. Based on listening to Salvation again, it was interesting because it's been so many years since I heard the very first Funeral Mist record. Um, the... Uh, <laughs> something we always talk about on the show, the idea of sound objects as being mm -hmm. important to songs in extreme metal, especially very like modern styles of extreme metal. Um, sound objects in Funeral Mist are based on samples. Um, mm -hmm. And there's a lot of songs on Salvation, even back in 2003, that are in a sense kind of structured based off of central samples that recur mm -hmm through the music mm -hmm. um so i think there might be an element of song by song writing here just because some of the songs on this record are so different from each other and we got a great example with my first sample so children of the urn um i had a sense when i listened to this record that maybe it really opened up in the back end but really i think it's more about getting your bearings as a listener like going back to it, you know, on the, the second time I listened to it, it was like the first few songs made more sense to me. But this, mm -hmm. on my initial listen, was the moment where 
okay. I, I, I'm starting to get where this is coming from a little bit. There are no restrictions to this music. He can do whatever the fuck he wants. So... We're going to listen to the end couple minutes of Children of the Urn, Mm -hmm. and we're going to hear something that I'm unfamiliar with for Funeral Mist. Maybe it was on Hecatomb. I'll have to go back and listen, but at least from what I've heard from the band, he's never really done this before. black metal guy you should be used to this rigmarole by now who am i going to relate this to an essential black meets viking metal band from the 90s into the 2000s that's very important that i always say no one appreciates the influence of essential black viking metal band from the late 2000s to the early 2000s late 90s to the early 2000s yeah wait wait I'm, you know, dude, I'm going to feel stupid when you tell me. Well, it's going to be windier, man. Oh, yeah, God, that is kind of like a windier riff. <laughs> that is that's absolutely the kind of thing you'd hear off 1184 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, which, uh, that's that's one of those pet records of mine, or that band in general, has been a pet band of mine that I say is always so much more important than people realize. Mm-hmm. That it's the it's the Viking metal band that real black metal guys listen to, you know? Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is very much a Windier thing. You know, we have a tendency now to think of Windier as, oh, it's kind of the start of, like, poppy Viking black metal, but I don't believe it was interpreted as such when they were contemporary. Um, 
I think they were considered a lot more serious than a lot of people might see it now. Well, I've I've said this after you. Sh- I've listened to some more through you and through those um, Hallyarunner records, uh, which are very windier. And it is, in terms of uh, codifying a certain idea of simplified epic folk melody, very influential. And also anticipates like the sort of stompy pagan black metal thing. I think it turns out that a lot of raw, raw stompy kind of oi influenced pagan BM actually sounds like Windier, right? Yeah, and that Windier actually sounded like oi. I think (laughs) oi with keyboards. That's probably the more compelling thing. So, oh, Windier sounds like oi with keyboards. Yeah, which it does. Um, Yeah, and however, the simplified folk melody Windier has some stuff that's just like. You know, here is your basic medieval sounding melody. There's other stuff that is elaborate and authentic and informed by Norwegian folk music, even if it's played on kooky synth patches. Yeah, you can this hear the melodies. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I was gonna say this is an extremely authentic folk melody, and it sounds like Hades. It has the elaborate cascading feeling you get on the in uh, you know uh. In the realm of the Dying Sun. I always forget which Dying Sun record is which. I always confuse it with the Dead Can Dance record. Uh, <laughs> it's, um, uh, hey, it's, is it Dawn of a Dying Sun? I think it I is. I think it's Dawn yeah, of, the a Dawn of a Dying, Dying Sun. Sun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so, you get, um, yeah. Well, what I was going to say was, okay, so I haven't heard this on a Funeral Mist record before. I haven't heard that on Salvation or Marathon, mm-hmm. Marathana. Maybe it's on Hecatomb. Maybe not. But ultimately, what it says to me is, okay, there aren't really any limits. This is a personal mm-hmm. project. Um, whatever black metal is to this individual can be incorporated. And this is a different, very impactful moment on the record. But even as different as it sounds sonically, it doesn't feel not contiguous with the rest of it. You know, the really aggressive, churning, mardic stuff that surrounds it in a lot of these tracks mm-hmm. kind of makes sense. You know, it, it, it's not um, it's not so far out that it feels like a novelty. It feels like a person who grew up through all of these periods of black metal putting these ideas together in a, in a really logical way. And that's very interesting to me. Yeah, so I think I think you're right about that. So this is the one that is the closest to what people now would recognize as that is a folk black metal riff or a pagan black metal riff, right? Just because of the intervals. Um, mm-hmm. uh, however, it's a pervasive influence on this record, uh, pagan BM, mm-hmm. um, and uh, a thing that happens a lot here is that you get kind of primordial folk melodic forms without the obvious note choices or general vibe right um you can hear that even there right it's not like a generic it's certainly not what a canned folk black riff sounds like now but like more than that um i wanted to read this so i think a band that's important for some of the noevdia people is soren and you know it's a band where like where has that band's influence been well it's been in things like the dso they're like the dso demo and shit like that but um one of the cool things these guys you know uh one of the cool things uh dso guy has done is re sort of reissue the soren material for a long time mm-hmm. and uh 
this is some liner notesy stuff he wrote on their Instagram. Um, uh, he said, um, the core feature of their musical world is the inimitably bleak melodies they conjure up, occasionally hinting at folk music, but always performed in a frantic manner resembling the influence of a meter-long line of cocaine. Intense <laughs> and fast, that is. Very fast, in fact. Um, and, uh... Yeah, so you 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 hear that here. I mean, you hear that here, right? That that description could apply to this record. Occasionally hinting at folk yeah. music, always performed in a manner resembling a meter-long line of cocaine, right? Soren would bend and warp these sort of folk melodies in ways that made them sound uh, sort of ghastly and nocturnal, right? Uh, and you, you get a lot of stuff that that method of sort of bending folk melody in various directions happens on here, as does the kind of emphasis on a ripping propulsive guitar style. You get it. I mean, there's there's a fucking. I mean, the uh, the the song towards the end of in, in, in Glimmer and Morcus Dupe uh, has like, um, what what is it? Oh yeah, um, fucking uh. Or actually, just just the title track. Sorry, yeah, because Smart Lizard Tronin is a bonus. The title track to that record rhythmically works like the riff you just played. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has this sort of long, unfolding, way too many notes in it for, for normal form, and it has this heavy, downbeat, headbanging rhythm. Um, there is another Swedish band. I think that connection's there. But an, uh, one thing, and one thing that Soren does is they tap into the sort of the droniness of. Uh, the droniness of folk and that is something that i think is a huge presence on this record too so i'll get to that more with my last sample but we got to go to yours well speaking of droniness let's talk about drone well let's let's talk about the other side of drone which is using it to bind together really aggressive really kind of chaotic music um, mm-hmm. which is something we also heard on the sample I played off uh, Marathrana. Um, the idea of, oh, we've got this continuous looping guitar line that binds together over the top of everything else, these disparate sort of melodic ideas. Let's think of a, a different take on that with the final track on the album, Into Ashes. So... Interesting note, I did not realize that it was a drum machine on this record until this last track. Um, And you know me, I'm pretty good at spotting that. Uh, I'm ridiculously bad at spotting drum machines, (laughs) so I'm I'm proud to say that I spotted it here, too. (laughs) Oh yeah, when the 30-second note hi-hats kicked in on this track. (laughs) So, this is a very interesting... We are... Well, spoiler, we're both sampling off this track, um, which is, I think, the best song on the album. Oh, absolutely. Um, This is the monumental closer. Yeah, this is huge. And I love, uh, you know, it was like I was saying earlier, it's like, is this a song, excuse me, is this an album written track by track? Is there a greater idea? Maybe it's both, because there's something about this song, the way it seems to kind of, like, decay, the way the drum machine becomes obvious the chaos becomes more consuming the the album kind of destroys itself at the end in a way that i found really compelling so let's listen to the middle part of into ashes (laughs) 
So I, I think an interesting thing happens here. I think there was a deliberate effort on the part of this guy to pretend this was a real drummer for most of the album. Um, because, like I said, I, I'm pretty good at spotting drum machines. I don't care either way. You can do whatever you want. But um, there's a real effort to make all of this very human-sounding for the rest of the record. I'm really interested in what like drum patches this guy used. Because, damn, these sound authentic. Especially in the slow parts. There's really crisp cymbals. Really nice sounds that sound very human. Very authentic. But then it all breaks down on this last song, Into Ashes. All the, the human stuff is removed, and it just becomes this horrible clatter, almost like a like a catharsis record or something. You know, hmm. it, just this explosion of noise, these hyper-speed 30-second note hi-hats against a really fast snare that are entirely impossible for a human to play. They're, third, um, they're highly syncopated hi-hats, too. They're doing... They're doing the kind of syncopated embellishments that you would get in, um, well, if it was that fucking uh, Fluids record coming from Trap, and if it's something yeah. else, it'd be coming from Breakcore, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. These, these are like Breakcore or crazy industrial techno hi-hats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, mm. I thought that was really interesting because I get all the way at the end of the record and then this, like, there's a reveal there. And I think mm-hmm. that was intentional. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea is like, oh, I thought this was like maybe some session musicians, a group of people. No, it's just this one guy with a drum machine in his room, you know, mm-hmm. which kind of reorients your whole view of the record, you know, and it kind of retroactively makes sense of some of the decisions that this is an object of personal obsession, you know. I guess I'm getting kind of abstract here, but I I like the idea of this elaborate fake-out, that this is a full Mm -hmm. band that funnels into this final song, and it's like, no, it's one guy obsessing over certain ideas. And then you get to the end of the album, and then you have to re-listen from the beginning. It's It's like reading a detective story in a novel, knowing who the killer is from the beginning... And, you know, it changes everything you read going through it again. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I do. Um, Yeah, I mean, speaking of, I mean, speaking of murder, I mean, the other thing is obviously that is supposed to sound like a machine gun, right? Yeah. (laughs) You can basically picture a kid with, you know, going like, you know, um, uh, because, because hand, it's not right? like it's not always the same. He's constantly changing yeah. up the rhythms mm-hmm. of the hi hats and yeah, shit. Yeah, it's yeah. like scattered staccato rhythms. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. Yeah. And and in terms of yeah, I agree. It is wonderful, and it does a thing that we've been talking about this year and last year about how you know how do you successfully integrate the best of avant electronica into metal without compromising the metal, right? Um, mm-hmm. The cool thing is that under that, the blast is... I mean, w- once you realize that it's mechanized, you understand, oh yeah, that's why the drummer can play so fucking fast, right? <laughs> but the blast remains iron steady under that. And it keeps skittering over it, right? The riffs hold. Um, and in a lot of ways, I feel like this record achieves... 
exactly what that plebeian grandstand record was trying to achieve, but in the complete opposite way. Mm-hmm. You know, like, how do you make something that has ridiculously fast drums? In their, their case, they were drums that sounded like they were programmed, maybe really triggered or whatever, right? But, uh, and has these break core rhythms in it and shit and communicate sort of apocalypse and collapse and whatever. And, you know, they, they, uh, they went for it big, right? And it sort of just, um, it, it just sounded, sounded weak, right? Uh, mm. This record is written very, very differently, but uh, um, sort of evokes. It, it is also highly atmospheric. It also has a ton of samples, you know, sprawling interludes. It also has this inhumanly fast playing and drum machine, uh, and it also sounds really apocalyptic. It just does that while being just barreling riff-based black war metal. Right. Yeah. Um, so the other thing, speaking of the folk thing, right? Uh, you you may have noticed that the the riff there, um, sounds like there's a riff there's a riff in there that um sounds like another one of my favorite bands. Um, I'll just play the sample. Everyone will know. I'll just play the fucking sample and then we'll talk about it after. Um. Uh, <laughs> So you've been talking about Hate Forest for a long time, and you've been like, oh, you should check out Purity. I've checked out Purity. It's pretty cool. Why didn't you show me this one? This is it. Yeah, this is it. This is the Hate Forest record for me. You know, I went back to it the other day, and I thought exactly the same thing. Dude, um, this is this is fucking it, dude. Yeah, <laughs> this, this, is, this is... Like, just that little clip is like, I'm going to... After I go to bed and work tomorrow, I'm going to listen to this album. This is Hate Forest for me. I get this completely. You know, a lot of my listening at any given point is highly conditioned on, like, what shit I've got on. Like, okay, this is just a confessional, but it's highly conditioned on what I've got on my computer at any given time or, like, whatever. You know, like... To the most ancient ones, I listened to a lot when I was in college. Um, and then, like, for whatever reason, I listened to Purity a lot later. Purity is the one that people say is the one. 
Um, and the funny thing is, that record really is kind of hits hard in a specific mood. I went back to this the other day and I was like, these are all the riffs I remember. I right? mean, this is this is just like just tough Blazebirth Hall shit, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, tur- uh, fucking um, Purity has the gates on it, which is like the big hit single, and that's because he uh, <laughs> he changes the bass note in a riff three times, which makes it sound <laughs> enormous. Um, but like this record, yeah, this I, I think I agree with you that this is the Hate Forest record, uh, and I think I was being um, I think I was spreading misinformation. Um, <laughs> one thing that one thing that Purity does that's cool that an old Metal Archives review pointed out is that they there's a single keyboard root note suspended the whole time, so it mm-hmm. really emphasizes the drone effect. I mean that's the whole Purity thing. Like it's a literally one note under it, right? Um, yeah. This record basically does that too, though. It's just on the guitars. Um, and so this is the other direction that Marduk guitar implies. On the one hand, it is thrash pedal point. On the other hand, it's a kind of drone because you're just leaping between the root and the octave, which are the same note, right? <laughs> um, and uh, this guy's guitar style, right, is just furiously fast, and it involves more ringing chords. Uh, it when he's when he's doing that, when he's letting the chords ring, like on this song, he is either ringing out the chords really high. Or this song still being fucking uh still being into ashes right uh on into ashes right the the uh Ariuk is ringing the chords in this way that is very hate forest and then when he cra- he just tears into this gigantic folk riff that works exactly like that that was the riff to in most winter on the most ancient ones um and it has the same sort of just storming majestically unfolding uh authentic folk form is that um it was already in death metal guys sample but kind of buried in the middle later in the song right the sort of uh the skittering uh this the skittering snare continues right and then this theme comes to the fore just like droning i mean in the hate for a sample right in uh in most winter, that riff like repeats way after the sample ended, right? Right. The whole thing I say for it just keeps going. Uh, mm-hmm. Into ashes, just sort of. It doesn't end on this riff, but the the song just it's it's meant to go to this riff for a long time. So listen to it here, and listen to the way it's being played as a round. At this point in the song, there are two guitars. They're starting the riff at different points, and you can follow the wave of the riff. And you can hear like two, you can see, almost see two different waveforms interlocking. It is just, it's, it's gorgeous.
Yeah, so that's sick.
All right, we are back with our last record of the night. Um, kind of a surprise release, not to the same degree as the Funeral Mist record that we just covered, but uh, something that came out a couple weeks ago and I had no clue about is the new Pantheist record titled Closer to God out on Melancholic Realm Productions, which is basically a personal imprint of uh, Pantheist and some associated projects um just real quick i assume you probably don't have any uh familiarity with pantheus before this heard the name for a long time but no yeah okay okay so pantheus is a pretty long-running funeral doom band uh really only relevant to the funeral doom scene which is kind of interesting and we'll probably talk about that because i think that uh pantheus real roots musically are kind of outside of funeral doom in a lot of ways but uh a little bit of background for people who aren't familiar so the first pantheus demo came out in 2001 so they've been around for about 20 years now um to describe pantheus um some of their early work is considered in the funeral doom scene like you know kind of second tier classic the first album oh solitude is considered like a, a pretty big hit in funeral doom as big a hit mm. as we get in that style my personal favorite is amarsha the second record i think that is basically a classic album very experimental very different especially for 2005 wonderful record highly recommended to anyone with interest in funeral doom um Beyond that, Pantheus started experimenting more and more. Uh, Journey Through Lands Unknown in 2008, not a tremendous fan of, but I get what they're going for. The self-titled record in 2011, they really lean into the progressive and experimental ideas. I do like that one. And Seeking Infinity in 2018, I actually haven't heard. I'm going to have to go back to that. But here we are in 2021 with Closer to God. Um, I guess my thesis about this record is that uh, Pantheus is an interesting band. Uh, I feel like after their first couple records, going back to it, you can almost hear it back then, but especially on their most recent work, it's clear that the heart of Pantheus lies in prog rock. Um, I think that Pantheus is a funeral doom band that sees funeral doom as a structural form rather than a genre, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. um, it's about extremely slow tempos, about winding, almost ambient song structures, but within that form... Lush, lush orchestration, right, because yeah. otherwise it could be like Conate or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. But within that paradigm, you can basically tuck whatever <clears throat> melodic ideas you want, whatever thematic ideas you want. You can do whatever you want with it. Uh, the first couple Pantheus records are distinctly Funeral Doom um, in the manner of maybe Skepticism circa uh, Pharmacon or Leaden Aether. But then they really split off. They start adding more and more of these kind of prog and electronic and experimental elements. 
making them kind of a, a unique figure in the funeral doom scene that has persisted and has had kind of a unique audience the whole way through. Um, so with that background done, uh, I actually thought, and I wrote in the notes, that uh, the black metal guy would hate this. I thought this would be totally unbearable for him. But I'm starting to realize as we do the show more and more, the things that I think that you'll hate tend to be alright for you, and it's things that I expect will just blow past you that you actually hate. So, <laughs> what's, what's, what's your impression of Closer to God? You know, um, yeah, well, I don't hate it. Uh, it's definitely not my thing. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, yeah. right? You know, something that is like prog rock, but really slow. Um, not on my alley. I certainly hear the prog connection. Um, you know, I mean, I think there's something... You know, I understand why you would connect this form to prog. Right, first of all, right, because of the big scale elaborate orchestration, right? Before skepticism, who else would put a literal pipe organ in your band, right? Like a prog rock band. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, and I understand the idea that given this massive canvas with minimal metal restrictions to worry about, right, you, you, you want to fill in all that space in this kind of more exploratory, wandering, noodly, proggy way. Um, I find certain passages on this um, unconditionally objectionable. Um, <laughs> however, relative to the length of the whole, I can't really hold them against the album as a whole, right? Th things have their eccentricities. Um, uh, you know, I mean... You know, I, I can't say, oh, that... I can't write it off because of that. Um, the emotional spectrum here is interesting. Um, this is certainly indulging in some melancholy in a way that I often find less than ideal. Um, mm -hmm. uh, that is, it is not doing something... Um, You know, uh, right? I, I tend to dislike music that encourages us to hang around in moods that are, I don't know, let's see, you know, wimpy, um, or moods <laughs> that are mo moods that are sort of, um, you know, not. I mean, the Nietzsche way of putting it would be right. Like, is this conducive to life? Right. Um, and, you know, there's music that can be extremely negative and depressing that in some ways nevertheless is, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Promoting of life or does give you some profound insight, right, into the nature of things or whatever. Uh, and there can certainly be music that's profoundly ugly that does that as well, right? Um, but, you know, like, you do... There's a certain kind of downcast melancholy mood that isn't you know full not the full-on tragic or sorrowful or mournful right that i that i just dislike um and uh but this is you know that i think this is not i i find the mood here at least on a lot of this record uh more plausible and worthwhile than i think uh, 
might be likely. Um, what I'd compare it with is, right, I really hated that Bell Witch record. I can't oh, remember last, what... Yeah. The, oh, the one with, that was like the collaboration with Ariel Ruin. Right? Yes, it was both... We both hated that, yeah. Yeah, it was proggy, and it was indulgent, and it was melancholy, and it was just kind of like, here's my sad little melody. Um, and it was so, like... It was personal in a really objectionable way to me. Like, it was subjective, individual, biographical. It was like singer, songwriter, music, or rock. It was not like metal. Um, here, the melancholy is less personal. Um, it feels more social. Um, I admit I was influenced somewhat by the liner notes um, or mm -hmm. whatever's written. There's some just earnest stuff that I assume is written by the band under that's been posted under the YouTube link. Um, a lengthy and joyless lockdown, the ghost of Ennio Morricone, the soundtrack of video games endlessly played, an unfulfilled need for connection, an acute awareness of the futility of it all. These are some of the ingredients that have led to the creation of Closer to God. Inspired by strange moods during the pandemic lockdown, blah, 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 blah. Um, so, you know, uh, it seems like it's written about the, you know, alienation. And, right, and this guy's from Europe. I think he's from the Netherlands now, right? His name is Greek, uh, but... Originally from Belgium, then moved to the UK for this band. Okay, well, I was sort of accurate. Um, you got between the two. Yeah. <laughs> there was a low country in there. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, well, so if he was in the UK, he was certainly like the fuck down. Um, and, um, you know, I've where, where I live was through its milder version of that. Um, you didn't really have to go through that in the same way, but it... I'm in the it, South. Nothing happened down here. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. You're surrounded by reasonable people. Um, but, uh, or governed by reasonable people. Well I, well, I don't know if I could say that, to be honest, but you know what I mean. <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> We're still figuring it out. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, right. Um, there is, uh, but like this guy, this guy, um, you know, he's in a place that is very shut down, right? By American standards, almost inconceivable. Uh, and, you know, that feeling of alienation is real, you know? I live in a fucking... I, I literally live in a basement. Um, and uh, being stuck in stuck in a space like that in a time when not else is, much else is going on is deeply, uh, deeply affecting in a way. Um, and so maybe having gone through it makes it resonate with me more personally in a way that biases hmm. me toward it. But, like that kind of melancholy is something I get. And it gets at something that is like in targeting that individual feeling or affect, it's also targeting a social phenomenon, something that people have experienced worldwide and kind of this uh, deeper feeling of just being out of tune with things, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And it is at times listless and self-pitying. Right, and that's not a good way to feel, and music shouldn't encourage you to feel that way. But it is very faithful to the phenomenon. I certainly felt listless and self-pitying way more than I would like during that time. Right, yeah. uh, and you know, I recognize that successfully imitating a bad emotion doesn't make something good. Right, you know, that would be my complaint about a lot of you know certain kinds of extreme DSBM that you might like more than I do. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But like, yeah. But but basically, that's a that's a rambly way of saying, I, I think I get it basically, and let's talk about it more and see where it goes. I I think I basically agree with you. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, like the funeral mist, I decided to go back and listen to O oh Solitude just because it's been a while since I listened to Pantheist. Um, wanted to compare it to the first record they did. Um, and it's amazing how much melodically lines up between the first record and the newest one. Um, and then I started to realize, oh, listening to Amarsha, listening to uh, Journey to Lands Unknown, oh, Pantheus is really kind of razor-focused on certain intervals, certain melodic ideas they keep revisiting over and over again. Um which is why I talk about how, for Pantheist, uh, Funeral Doom appears to be a structural conceit for them. They like it slow and low. They like uh, the idea of developing emotion within this, you know, kind of subdued setting, so to speak. Um, and I think that there's something telling, something else they said on the Bandcamp page and describing this record, uh, which was that it began with the idea of uh, doing a single lengthy track in the vein of Skepticism's A's. Their kind of famous uh, like single 25-minute song EP that they did, uh, I think, right after uh, Lead and Aether, something like that, before Pharmacon. Um Great song, legendary, Funeral Doom shit. Everybody listen to it now. <clears throat> so, um, I kind of echo your sentiment. This is not my thing. My interest in Funeral Doom is not this sort of thing. However, I think it's kind of cool to listen to a prog take on Funeral Doom. That's not an idea that's been worked around a whole lot. Um, I think that there's a lot of kind of nifty musical ideas in this. It's just not speaking to me on an aesthetic level. But I can, you know, I've listened to enough music and talked about it enough that I can kind of divide that from my personal taste. I think this is very good for what it is. And it's I think it's going to be a really big deal to a certain kind of listener that's not me. Um, that being said, let's talk about probably what I assume is the origin of this record, which is the big Dude, monolithic wait, song real, at the beginning. Real, oh. oh, yeah, yeah. We got to get to samples. I was going to say, we both talked so... We, we, I talked a long time. You talked... We, we've Well, you know what? The lead-in fits the record. Right, <laughs> the lead-in fits the record. We, yeah, we've just exactly. self-indulgently uh, elaborated for like fifteen minutes. So, all right, first sample, bud. I was thinking we should listen to yours because it's more representative of the record. Like it has the funeral doom in it. You know, it's more doomy. Okay, I can do that. So let's go to uh, a little bit later in Strange Times, and this is probably uh, this is probably. You would say it's pretty representative of the album as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's go to uh, about the middle of Strange Times after one of the interludes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty tight, actually. Let's go. Let's go. 
it's interesting listening to this again um, with the idea in mind that this is designed based on a sort of paradigm laid out by skepticism just how similar it is structurally to skepticism around A's and Pharmacon and the related EPs. Um, the idea of dropping out the rhythm guitars to create a sort of elevated breakdown structure. I don't know what you would call it, you know, uh, allowing the, the, the heavy bass tones to drop back in for the verse but removing them during these more poignant, delicate moments, which is a very prog technique, which is not alien to skepticism itself. Um, I guess the difference is, obviously, it's a, on a completely different emotional wavelength from skepticism, but structurally, I understand the similarity. Um, a lot of this record, as you will get to, is based off of really a, a single kind of intervallic idea, melodically, um, which is kind of a strength and a weakness of this record. I like the consistency of it, but it can kind of blow past you if you're not concentrating on the details of the lead guitar and the synths and stuff like that. Um, well, it's definitely Imagine. supposed to be immersive. He's he's clearly not going for like, you know, yeah. skepticism. Once in skepticism, something like skepticism or thurgathon, each riff is marked. Right, they're all for paying attention to. Here, he's almost like, I mean, you know, it, it's really about that kind of immersive, floating, wandering thing, right? Which is why I can't, why you can't really hold it against him. Like, that's the whole... It's the mood he's exploring. Yeah, it's like, you can never accuse this band of not executing on the idea. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's like, mm -hmm. you may not be that interested in the idea they're executing, but clearly they're very good at accomplishing what they're going for. Did you already say what... You, well, this actually connects to my, to my sample, right? Uh, yeah. But did you already say what you are going to say about this sort of interval repeating the kind of basic similar intervals that run throughout the whole thing there's basically a single chord structure that forms the core of this mm -hmm. entire record most of this record is all about vamping and you know improvising around that chord structure it's a very simple like one four seven four kind of thing. i knew it was a one four thing but you you mapped it out that's that's good or actually, well, like one five seven five. It might be because like the two step drop is very important to Pantheist. That is something that extends through all of their records with remarkable consistency. Like in a certain way, you could say that every Pantheist record is based around the same general melodic idea, but it's mostly an experiment in textures and lead melodies around that basic chord frame. You know? All right. Well, so let's listen to where that idea is taking shape. The beginning of Strange Time. So this is about two minutes and 35 seconds in. Seconds is the word I was looking for. Um, <laughs> and uh, you're going to start out with a nice lyrical nod to H.P. Lovecraft and or Solstice. Willie, you 
I think it is a one four, right? Duh, 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 yeah, duh. yeah. Um, it's like a it one four seven four kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Duh, duh, yeah. It's got that sort of bleakly open major key thing, right? And you could hear he start the first line of the record is "We live in a new dark age," which is. Uh, it's at the beginning, that line comes at the end of the intro speech on Solstice's New Dark Age, and I believe it is part of a Lovecraft quotation that is better known for the beginning of it, something like the inability of the mind to correlate all its contents. Um, mm-hmm. So that's cool. Um, and, you know, um, I mean, the lyrics there kind of, set the tone that okay this is dealing with this kind of indeterminate crisis space that we're in right now endlessly sprawling crisis uh um what it really sounds like to me is fucking death in june um Mm -hmm. this part and parts like this that recur throughout the record uh you know i i could do a sample comparison but this show is already extremely long um, I was trying to hunt for the exact thing, um, and th- it was hard because there are so many songs that have kind of certain kinds of lush, weirdly corded major key, very simple major key progressions like this. Um, <coughs> uh, Jerusalem the Black would be one. Um, uh, Daedalus Rising would be one. Um or uh more than that um yeah yeah or the, the, yeah the, i mean the, those are a couple um the or this is not paradise also they, they just all this kind of vibe um however i wonder so that could be a direct influence it would certainly make sense for music that moves at this kind of tempo and with this kind of interest in immersive atmosphere and like mm-hmm. you know i don't know like the dude from so there there is a Crosstalk between these scenes, the dude from Saturnus went on to become the dude in uh, of the Wand and the Moon, which is now mm, yeah. one of the most prominent neo folk bands, and he actually just released a record that is has this kind of moody prog feel the whole way through. Um, this record actually kind of reminds me of the new of the Wand and the Moon, although that is way more singer songwritery. Um, yeah, yeah. However. It could be a thing of just totally parallel evolution because this guy's really influenced by Ennio Morricone, who's also a huge influence on Death in June from the very beginning. Just their sense of what a kind of epic, old-school melody, a certain cinematic melody sounds like, right? Um, And uh, so it might just be, okay, you take Ennio Morricone and you add slow tempos, lush synths, and what, you know kind of ab metaphysical metaphysical political lyrics and you get this um uh but the atmosphere has this kind of outside looking in or casually inhabiting a nonsense world vibe um and that's a lot like script of the bridge by the chameleons um Hmm. i think at its best this record has that it's not really indulgent, it's just profoundly alienated. And you're kind of swimming around in this state of anomie and uh, um, detached, right? Uh, and maybe... That would be comparable to 
some of the most like weird alienated like rush stuff so yeah 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 um well that oh yeah i could see that yeah so exactly so in that sample and i think in the one you you have you can get that kind of like you know it's this kind of bleak major key almost pop progression and it's being sort of turned it's like a pop progression being turned against itself in this weird way and it, it makes sense to it makes sense to me you know i've inhabited that mood (laughs) Um, even like the cover art is like very DIY and awesome. It's like the dude, it's it's like bad, awesome. Yeah. Deliberately bad. Awesome. It's like if that, you know, like, oh God, what was that terrible shit? Sacred sun or whatever. Right. That was a gimmick. Right. He just sacred sun isn't bad. It's pretty good. (sighs) Well, I know, I know that the music is basically like competent down the line of one man black metal, but like, uh, it's like competent mayhem worship shit. Yeah. Yeah. But the cover is silly. Um, but this is like a attempting to do that, but in a serious way, like he's not, he's in the cover. And it is him. And he's wearing his own shirt. Fuck. And he's looking out on, like, the coat, some sort of, it's not the White Cliffs of Dover. Maybe it is the White Cliffs of Dover if he's in the UK now. Um, This just sprawling coastline. And he's photoshopped in the Milky Way over it. And he's also looking, but he's looking out at nature through a painting of it. Which also has him in it. Well, so yeah, it's can, a it's a a perpetual mirror of himself against the background, man. Yeah, you it's it's far worlds within look, worlds, bro. If, <laughs> yeah, if you look at it too long, you'll trip out. Um, it's a uh, it's basically a pretty good idea of like, you know, looking at reality through a screen, and the screen is on your computer, which the lockdowns have put you around all the fucking time, right? You know, you wake up and it's glowing like a shrine in front of you. Uh, your, but the your screen connection has also to the been, outside world, right? Yeah. Yes, the screen has also... <clears throat> yes, it's supposedly your connection to the outside world, and yet it's severing you from it. And when you go outside, there's also a screen between you and the outside world because you are, in many ways, prevented from interacting with people. So that is... Uh, you know, that's pretty cool and pretty smart. Um and, you know, it's weird, right? Situations I didn't like think that. of it in those terms. It's like, oh, well, when I think about it within the context of the whole kind of like COVID album thing, okay, it's a lot cooler. I, I get that now. Yeah. Yeah. And like, or then there's another thing where like you end up looking more towards nature, which is, you know, cool. But at the same time, in this way that, you know, you can end up, you know, I think... You know, he's feeling disconnected from the vastness of nature, too, right? That's that's not really how it was for me, but yeah. I get it. But I, I get it. Um, and um, he's got, um, you know, even the, the comments, right? The com- Like, there's one comment under this video. It's been up for 13 days. There's a single comment. And the single comment is, the third seal is open. Uh pun that i can't read because of youtube but it's something like necronomicon but with the name of the current concern um and feel scaring often closer to god (laughs) it's just like a a, an english cry for help from the middle of the internet and somehow (laughs) that's like a i think that comment helped me understand this more Ah, okay. I get that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
so let's talk about your sample. Or oh, wait, are we going to mine too? Oh, you're, we're going to go to yours at the end. So let's go to my next one. All right. Yeah. yeah so yeah. in terms of stuff on this record that I cannot allow to pass <laughs> unchallenged, um, we've got to go to wilderness. Um, this is a uh, so obviously you know wilderness is an interesting title because you can take refuge from. You know, you can, okay, if you're socially isolated, you can take refuge in the wilderness. Although although in the UK, apparently, they were trying to prevent you from even doing that for a long time. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, but, you know, you can at least, in principle, uh, attempt to take refuge in the wilderness. But wilderness can also refer to the social world around you. Dislocation, disorientation, uh, and a sense that the ground around you is not fertile um so uh you know um this starts out unforgivable but kind of gets cool Around us, 
I guess when I said the first part of the sample was unforgivable, I guess not necessarily the lead up. I sampled more of the lead up than I meant to. But that's the kind of theme, a major theme for the last part of the record on Wilderness and of Stardust. That sort of... I can't hum it because if I do, I'll accidentally hum the Rohan theme from Lord of the Rings. Um, <laughs> which is very similar, but in a different key. And Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's 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 not it's not in any way remotely the Rohan theme, but I because the Rohan theme is echoing through the deepest, the deepest chasms and ravines of my mind at all times. Etc. So basically, with that sample, right? He he's got the basic theme there, and then it goes into prog rock piano land, and. You know, the, my problem with this stuff is always that it just sounds like musical theater. Um, mm, and yeah. that's not a genre I appreciate. Uh, it is, you, I mean, and it also points out doing it that way also kind of brings to light how much these melodies relate to stuff like Tears for Fears or whatever. Mm, yeah. Like if it's like chameleons on the one hand, it's also like, all the people, all the people, all the people. <laughs> and, you know, like, he would probably agree to that. He'd probably be like, yeah, that's kind of the feeling I was going for. I mean, that song is about intense alienation, and it's a good song, right? But, um, you know, this this is sort of without any of the kind of catchy, catchy sad boy new wave stuff. Um, it just, I don't know. Like, I, I do not understand placing that on a metal record. However... Yeah, I get that. What? Yeah, I mean, it's just... Well, However... I, I, I think that, like, the idea is, like I said at the beginning, like, Funeral Doom as a form. No, you know? I, I, get, I get that, but, you know, prog rock content, okay, but I hate prog rock. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I know you have more time for prog than I do, right? You like Queen, I don't. Um, right? <laughs> and this is because I'm a short... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you are a short hair. Yeah. Um, but at the end I'm, of the, what? I'm balder than you, and what, yet what? you are the short hair culturally. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but at the end, right? He, the even the piano stuff gets better towards the end of it. There's a sort of a, a chord change or something, and then he drops into this just big chunky like uh, groove, and the growls come in, uh, and that to me is like. That's like a catatonia kind of thing. It's like uh Oh yeah, definitely. It's it's like the you get the growliness and the droniness of like the old catatonia and October Tide stuff and then you also get like the sort of um dick swinging rock and roll shit. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um it's very that's indulgent in a cool way. I like that a lot. I wish there were more of it. Um and 
using Funeral Doom creatively to do shit like that, I really like. Like, yeah, in the middle of this sprawling structure, why not throw in some goth death doom parts or whatever, right? Uh, oh, no, that was except that was an interesting thing I heard when uh, listening to O Solitude earlier mm-hmm. today, which was like, oh, this is a Funeral Doom record, and a couple of the songs have blast beats on them. Oh, that's and, cool. Like thrash beats. I, I think the primary influence for that kind of thing was like disembowelment. Mm-hmm. But uh it was like, oh well, why should the tempo limit the form? It's just a uh, a very fast blast beat in terms of uh like note division, but it's still at the same mm-hmm. tempo, so why not? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um you know, so yeah, so that's inventive and cool. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to go back and listen to that record. That sounds good, but that's inventive and cool. Uh, and you know, it also brings to mind another thing, which is at least until the piano part, a thing I liked about a thing I said to myself before the piano part was, "Hey, you know, say what I will about some of the proggy parts." Like there was a sort of flowery guitar solo earlier on the record. Uh, say what I will about the proggy parts. You got to give credit where credit is due. He's doing growls the entire time. Mm-hmm. Right? A thing that was bad about the Bell Witch was there were these sad little clean vocals. And unfortunately, we do get that on on this sample. But when it lights back in here, like, this guy has great growls. And he does that for almost... And I think one reason I, I like this record better than you might have thought I would or than maybe it sounds like I do based on some of the things I've said about it is that, the, you know, like... Uh, it remains generically funeral doom through most of it. Like, you can hear the growls, you can hear the heft. There are even some aggre- more aggressive doomy riffs here and there. Yeah, I definitely get that. But speaking of solos that you may or may not like, we got to get to the last track of Stardust We Are Made and To Dust We Shall Return. Um which is a song that is a setup for a series of solos that are pretty fucking cool, actually.
bro, COVID really sucked, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, man. It's, I mean, it's um, it's it's over. Depending now, on where right? you live, it's. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, right. It's. Yeah, it's 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 totally totally over. <laughs>